Welcome to Lasso Lessons. I'm Mike Merrill. And I'm Kathy Buckman. Today we're discussing Ted Lasso's season two, episode four, Carol of Bells. Now, this is the name of one of the most popular Christmas carols. I had to look it up. It's actually based on a Ukrainian folk song and was written in the 19 teens. So we know right off that we likely have landed on a Christmas show. There's no war on Christmas in the world of Ted Lasso. And in fact, we arrive at the Richmond Clubhouse with the whole team there participating in a secret Santa. And because this is Ted Lasso, we can be sure that it will play on our expectations of the conventions of Christmas in England. Sure enough, Higgins notes that Ted has given him an unusual half day off on Christmas. And just to provide some context here, the Christmas holiday season is a big time for football in Britain. But this also seems to be a sly hint at the most British of Christmas conventions, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And okay, I don't think we should think too hard about who's Scrooge here. Is it Ted for giving the half day off or the previous coach for never giving them any time off on Christmas? But Ted will appear later in the episode, seen below from Street View, leaning out the second story of his window on Christmas Day, which is inevitably the way we depict the scene of Scrooge's unlikely reformation on TV and in movies. Yeah, I think a show like Ted Lasso that loves to make allusions to things would have to allude to A Christmas Carol, but I don't think they're doing it super intentionally or meaningfully, just in little touches. And one final little touch here is that Jamie Flubb's Tiny Tim's famous God bless us, everyone, with his own God bless me, everybody. After this brief intro, everyone disperses and we have, as we usually do, three main storylines. Now, I wouldn't say this episode doesn't do anything at all to further the overall story arcs that we've been following throughout the first and second seasons, but I wouldn't say that that's the point of this episode either. Rather, we have three very skeletal story structures, and the overall point of the episode seems less like furthering the big global threads and more like leaning on what we already know about the characters to create a certain festive atmosphere. It's less like one of the typical hard-driving Ted Lasso episodes than it is more like a holiday party. In the first story, the Higgins opens their doors, as they do every Christmas, to the players who can't get home for the holiday, which is apparently a big portion of the international players on the team and even some who aren't international. Apparently, Higgins and his wife, Julie, usually are visited by two or three of the players that they invite. This year, however, it seems like most of the team attends their party and besides a few cultural misunderstandings, there's a lot of good cheer. The party evolves, devolves, I don't know how you want to put it, into eventually an epic Nerf gun battle, which I don't know if you really enjoy TV comedies might remind you of some of the shootouts that happen on the series Community. Yeah. And then the final visual punchline is the extra long table that they need to employ to handle the overflow of players. It's a merry scene with everybody eating and drinking and enjoying each other's company. A side note here is the actors who play Leslie and Julie Higgins, Jeremy Swift and Mary Roscoe, are in fact married in real life. I didn't know that. Want to take a guess how old Jeremy Swift is? How old is Jeremy Swift? Just quickly, just off the bat, what does he look like? 45. Exactly. I would have said he is a youthful looking 45. He's 62. What? She's, she's 63. So staying in England, keeping out of the sun can do you wonders. 
While all this is occurring, Roy and Keeley must postpone their sexy Christmas to find help for his niece, Phoebe, who has especially bad halitosis. And I've always wanted to say halitosis on the air. Bad breath. Little side note here, the camera work, as Keeley sets up the house for sex at Christmas, close-up shots of all this stuff, it's really, really good. And I almost wondered if they brought in some expert cinematographers to capture this. On another pod that I do, where we talk to folks who have done uh, award-winning documentaries, I spoke to the directors of the recent Sony Pictures documentary about Julia Childs, and they said they had to hire specialists to shoot the cooking scenes. It's a real specialty out there in the world. And I, I wondered if we saw some of that similar work here. Roy takes them on a tour of what he calls his posh neighborhood, asking in each home if there is a dentist within. They eventually do find one. And after Roy bribes a local pharmacist to open his doors, they are able to provide Phoebe with the proper antibiotics. And one note that when they do finally find the household that has a dentist, one of the people present at that family celebration is that guy, the guy who pops up at regular intervals in Ted Lasso, asking people to take an ussy with him. He, he was in the pilot episode on the plane with Ted and Coach Barrett, and later he shows up in a barbershop scene when Jamie is getting a haircut. Quick note here. I used to work at a drugstore, and there was an agreement amongst all the drugstores in my small town of Burlington, Vermont, which we have mentioned previously, that one of the stores would stay open for a few hours on Christmas. And I worked a couple of those Christmases, and I have to say I enjoyed it. It was quiet. I could read my magazines for a few hours. Finally, in the third or C storyline, Rebecca blows off Elton John's holiday party. And that does seem like quite a sacrifice. Can you imagine singing... Christmas songs around Elton John's baby grands, especially if you have a voice like Hannah Waddington. Yeah, that's actually where I thought this show was going. I assumed that she was going to sing at some point, and I figured, you know, it would probably be at some Christmas party. She does sing, but it's not at Elton John's house. She blows off the holiday party to rescue Ted, whose attempt to have a FaceTime Christmas with his son hasn't really panned out. And once again, Ted is drinking too much and alone. And while it's played humorously, this is a pattern that may concern us. She takes him to various homes throughout London where children may not have otherwise received gifts. And she gives them gifts that she's purchased. This is actually one storyline where maybe some progress is made against the series' larger arcs. After all the support that they provided each other the first season, Ted and Rebecca have been a bit distant in the second season. Here we see them coming together to do some good for others. So three stories, do they come together in some way? Well, this is Ted Lasso, so of course they do. One way the episode brings this all together is by emphasizing this kind of visual of fingers ringing bells out of context, and you're not even sure which of the three storylines the ringing bell is happening in. Of course, this sound of all these doorbells ringing, that's another carol of bells. That's good analysis, Mike. I didn't even think about that. There's a lot of doorbell ringing in this episode. And finally, at the very end, two of the storylines truly come together in space and time as Tad and Rebecca rustle up some of the local buskers and head over to the Higgins place to sing. And once again, we get to see Hannah Waddington really exercise those amazing pipes of hers. I also think that this episode does do an interesting job of showing the great diversity of London. While to date, we have mainly spent our time with fairly well-paid footballers, casual trip to the pub, 
Here we get to see an incredible range of ethnicities and social classes. We see people with origins from all over the world, and London is, in fact, an incredibly diverse city, which strikes you immediately as you traverse it. And we get to see a wide range of social levels, from Roy's upper-class neighborhood to the comfortable middle class of the Higgins family, though perhaps their house, as is typical on TV shows, a little bigger than it might be in real life, to the working families that Rebecca and Ted visit bearing gifts. I personally am not a huge fan of the Christmas episode in general. Maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind to appreciate this episode, but I think they do a pretty nice job. One thing I did notice about this particular slice of Ted Lasso is that everybody is very nice in this episode. Everybody's in their nice mode. And there is a critique of TV comedies that if you allow the characters to develop and grow and become better people, they will get nicer. And as they get nicer, some of the rough edges are sanded off of the characters. And there's just not a lot of friction left in the dialogue, in the scenes. One show that comes to mind is MASH. I was a big fan of MASH back in the day. And by the time you get to the later episodes, everyone's just very friendly. And it's not quite the same show anymore. I hope that some of the edge comes back after this special holiday show. I have a feeling it will. Yes. And also, we have Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, who's going to plumb the depths of some of the characters and maybe discover some areas that aren't so nice in their personalities. Yes, we have that to look forward to. So that's our version of the recap today. We don't go through every detail because it's not that sort of episode. Kathy, what themes do you see at play here? I see two themes that feel to me like callbacks to some things we've already talked about that I think are worth revisiting. And then there's probably one new thing that's worth talking about. So for the two callbacks, I would like to talk about leadership in terms of focusing on performance versus morale that choice that leaders face. And then I'd also like to talk about the trust equation again. So what about that first theme? Yeah. So we have actually jumped ahead in time at the start of this episode. It's much later in the football season than it was at the end of the previous episode. At this point, the team has an even number of wins and losses in addition to many draws. And Ted and the gang it feels, have stabilized the situation with the club. They've righted the ship. They're out of that doldrums where they couldn't seem to win a match. And we had noted previously, maybe a touch critically, that Ted was focused on morale, the team's morale, and neglecting to focus nearly as much on what he could do to actually improve their performance. And what I think is kind of interesting at this point is that now that the team actually has improved performance. They're doing better as a team. The team morale actually feels more steady and even. And this implies what I think anybody would conclude is that these are not independent variables. They're really dependent on each other. How well a team is performing and how well people feel about the team are pretty closely linked. I have spoken to some people who are really concerned about the state of the morale of their team during a bad business cycle or when the business was facing some particular setbacks. And as soon as things get better, oftentimes the morale issues just seem to dissipate. I remember asking a friend once what would make his work life better. And his answer was, I could use more success. <laughs> yeah, couldn't we all? 
Yeah, I think there's something about being part of a group of people in an organization, on a team. It's very grinding to have string after string of setback. And it is really helpful to have a little success. It really just helps people feel better about each other and makes the whole atmosphere feel more conducive. And you said you also wanted to bring back the trust equation. So the trust equation was something that we talked about quite a bit for the first couple episodes of season one, where Ted, as a new coach, has a challenge ahead of him. He has to earn some trust from this team that don't know him and don't really have any reason to think of him as somebody they should pay attention to. And so we use the trust equation as a way of talking about how to actually break down what trust is. If you are interested in trying to build it, you need to know what you should be doing, what really results in somebody feeling more trust in you. I'm not going to go through the whole trust equation, but one of the parts of trust building that we discussed then was that you can actually increase the amount of trust in the work setting by having people get to know you better and by getting to know other people better as people. And that this is talked about, at least in terms of the trust equation, as increasing the intimacy between people at work. That word is sort of a strange word to use at work. And the concept can be a little bit confusing for people too. How do you go about creating more intimacy at work in a non-creepy way? And watching this episode, this Christmas episode of Ted Lasso, I was struck by a few good examples of where greater intimacy can come from in a workplace. So I'll just give a couple examples. Very simply and basically, Ted asks everybody what their plans are for the holiday. And just by listening to people's responses, he learns a lot more about them. I also think that Secret Santa, you know, everyone rolls their eyes, it's maybe not everybody's favorite thing, but it's really not a bad way for the people on a team to get to know each other and bond in somewhat random configurations. You know, you don't really know who your secret Santa is going to be. And also the process of trying to figure out what gifts people would like and seeing their reactions tells them a lot about each other as people. And then finally, parties, right? The office party, especially if people are hosting parties in their own home, it's just a really intimate thing, a good way to find out about people's home life and to learn about what kinds of traditions they follow for the holidays. Yeah, there's a lot of tradition talk, right? It's funny how various members of the team are bringing things to the party and Higgins, Leslie Higgins' first assumptions, oh, this must be a traditional thing you do. Not necessarily. That's what I thought to do for this party. Yeah, that is a source of humor here. Is you can't assume that everything's a tradition, but it is a great way at a holiday party to open up the window a bit of what you know and learn about the people you work with. Speaking of bonding with coworkers, another thing that happens here is when Rebecca and Ted are out there giving presents to people. And since I'm plugging my other podcast today, I have one uh, that I produced where a colleague of ours, Daryl Ogden, is speaking to his brother-in-law, Coach Ron Adams, who's a coach for the world champion Golden State Warriors basketball team. And Ron is talking about with the previous team, how he built a relationship with the superstar James Harden. What he said, one of the things they did that was very effective is that he and James were working with the kids at Special Olympics. And they thought it was interesting that both he and James and a lot of these other kids were left-handed. And it was a real moment of bonding. I think 
one of the reasons why it was such a powerful moment of bonding is it wasn't a party. It wasn't hedonism. It wasn't something they were doing for themselves. It was something that Coach Ron Adams and James Harden were doing for other people. And that moment of altruism can be a very positive one for building relationships with your coworkers. I think of back in New York, there were a lot of corporate challenges, races in the park and going up the steps to the Statue of Liberty, maybe at one point, I might have that wrong. Like these things where you do something not just for fun, not just for yourself, not just for the company, but for other people can be a very powerful way to bond with coworkers. Oh, absolutely. I think that's true in many workplaces in many cities. When we used to live in Atlanta, I remember Habitat for Humanity, the charity that was founded by former President Jimmy Carter. A lot of workplaces would arrange to have the entire office go and build a house for a family in need over the course of a weekend with the Habitat for Humanity charity. And it's a really powerful thing. Those are some good callbacks, but I think you also said you had at least one new theme you thought was playing out here that was, it's interesting to us in terms of work and leadership. The new theme is pretty much exactly what you were just talking about. The new theme here, as I see it, is how helping others together with the people that you work with helps to make work feel like not just a set of relationships of convenience, but that you can actually start making a family at work. Let me elaborate. So Ted and Rebecca deliver presents together and Keely and Roy help Phoebe with her medical issue. And in both cases, these pairs of people have a different kind of bonding experience through the mutual endeavor of trying to help others. And working together in this way is good for relationships. This is pretty much exactly what you were talking about with Coach Ron Adams and James Harden. Many workplaces do volunteer work. And I don't think it's just about helping the community. It's about helping the people and helping the relationships. We also see that the Higgins party starts to resemble a sort of quote unquote work family. And I personally am a little conflicted about using this kind of language, not because I don't like the word family <laughs> and not because I don't want people to feel like they have a family at work, but fundamentally your work family is not a family. Because the relationships at work are always provisional, you know, unless you work in a family business, workplaces just have different rules and contracts around how lasting these relationships are going to be. But nonetheless, it is nice to feel that you can let your guard down, that you can have an informality and a sense of enjoyment and commonality with people. And so I see why people do talk about work as a family. And there are many pieces of that that I think are worthwhile to aspire to. So all in all, I think the theme here is that work can be a place where people help the community. And it's also a place where you can make community. And some of us have boundaries and it's not always desirable to feel the same way about the people you work with that you do about your family. It can happen and it can be really wonderful. And I think that's some of the power and the enjoyment that we get from watching this episode of Ted Lasso. Mike, did you ever feel like the people you worked with were your family? Did I ever feel? <laughs> yes, unfortunately. See what I mean? It's a double-edged sword. It certainly is. And that's our take on season two, episode four of Ted Lasso, Carol of Bells. Next time, we'll talk about season two, episode five, Rainbow. Rainbow.